The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the 21st episode of the Keeper Cut Podcast. My name is Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. We celebrated the Big 2-0 last week. This week we can drink. We can, yeah. We are officially of podcast drinking age. At podcast drink, the, the legal drinking age for podcasts. Actually, I'm pretty sure the legal drinking age for podcasts is, is zero. If you have a podcast, you can have a beer on your podcast. Yeah, everybody one. has a podcast. There's definitely people under 21 with podcasts, but well, okay, yes, that's yeah. fair. If you are of 21, <laughs> your podcast does not need to age to have a beer during your podcast. This is true. But if you did need to age your podcast before you could have a beer, we have officially reached drinking age. 21 episodes in, <laughs> pretty exciting stuff. We had a plan for today. Plan didn't really work out. We're we're excited about that plan. And hopefully, we're going to get it back together for the for this guest to join us next week or the week after. We have to figure that out. But in the meantime, we're going to see what happens here because we we no longer have a plan. And so Pete and I have made lists of questions we want to ask each other. We don't really know what those questions are going to lead to. We have no idea what this conversation is going to be about. By the time you listen to this, we'll have made notes, and you'll be able to use those notes, and you'll know what we're talking about before we do. Sort of a little weird. We're going to get into it, though. Are you, uh, before we even get into those questions, though, Home Run Derby tonight, you going to watch? Uh, without question, but I think I this goes right hand in hand with that because this person is participating in the Home Run Derby. But I think I need to take my weekly flogging for Joey Gallo, who has not slowed down since our 20th beautiful episode. Uh, he's now homered four times in his last five games as he continues to mash like i'm i'm looking at his last 15 games and i can't believe i said anything bad about joey gallo you know he he had such a cold year last year and like it's just been such a weird start to the season and you just sort of felt like i don't know i i came into the season thinking like whatever power outage he had last year like this guy's way too big and way too strong and hits the ball way too hard his power is gonna come back and it didn't and he was like this weird singles hitter to start the year. And I was just like, what is going on here? And he finally dragged it out long enough that I started to be like, well, maybe he maybe he did lose his power. Maybe something's up. Maybe he's hurt. I, yeah, no. No. No, he's, he's just, he just had a slow month and a half, two months, whatever it was to start the season. And that man is destroying baseballs right now. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's still going to be he's still striking out so he's still going to be pretty streaky and i'm sure he'll go through cold spells but man if he gets dealt to the yankees or something which like continues to come up and i don't know if it's legit or it's just because it's it's the yankees and a player who's playing well which happens all the time but man if he goes there he's gonna hit like 50 home runs and it's gonna be the worst take of my life yeah yankee fans are out there right now saying things like you think if we gave them miguel andahar they'd give us gallo and throw in a couple prospects No, yeah, that's not. So maybe happening. I'm sure they have some middle reliever that gets three innings a month that they could throw in because maybe that they need to give a little bit more because of Andujar's shoulder. Yeah, no, that's fair. You're right. I, I was I was forgetting <laughs> about that shoulder. You're right. Now there's Gallo's been talked a lot about in Cleveland circles too because we really could use some outfield help and he would be a, an incredible fit. But I just the cost would be super high for anyone to acquire him. I have to imagine. Yeah, but with and that Texas. Um, 
I don't mean to, I, I, we don't need to keep going down this hole, but Texas was the team that held on to Lance Lynn last year that nobody met their price. So they said, fine, we're just going to hold on to him. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it, it makes a lot of sense to do that. I think teams are too quick sometimes to be like, well, if I got to move him, I got to move him. Mm-hmm. Um, Cleveland's had a history of this too. Everyone being like, oh, they're definitely moving Lindor before the break and it, or before the deadline. And then they don't. People thought they were going to move him before last season and they didn't. Um, and I think when you do that, you build up a reputation as a front office that like, we can't assume they're going to trade this guy. Even if we think it's logical, they're going to hold out for what they believe is a fair offer. And we, we need to meet that. So I think it's a smart thing to do to hold those guys. And it may mean that in some cases you take a hit and you just lose a guy for a qualifying offer and nothing else. But I think in the long run, you, you build up the right reputation. You make, you get better deals because of it. We'll see what happens. But with the home run derby tonight, we got this bracket they've got set up now. Who are your, I'm going to, I'm going to ask two questions with home run derby. One, who's your pick to win? Who do you think is going to win? And then emotionally, who do you want to win? So my emotion pick is definitely Trevor Story, right? Because I I just feel bad for Rockies fans, uh, the organization, whether it's because of the park or it's because of their ineptitude. And I think it's because of their ineptitude. Not that I ever want a pitcher in cores, and we certainly talk about this enough. But like, they just never... They got sex. They got they got swept by the Red Sox all those years ago, back in two thousand and seven. Like, and since then they haven't had anything. And now Trevor Story is probably going to leave them right after Nolan Arenado did. So it'd be one final cool thing for Story to win the Derby in front of the home crowd. Um, but my pick, you have to pick Shohei Otani. He's starting the All Star game. He's batting lead off, and he's the favorite in the home run Derby. He's the number one seed. That is so cool. And. Honestly, if, if if Trevor Story wasn't in it and I didn't feel that way for Rockies fans, emotionally, I would also want Shohei Otani. Yeah, I, I can totally get that. And I think Otani is, he's probably the right choice in terms of, you know, if you're placing a bet, who you're placing your bet on. The guy would love to see win it just because it would be such a great story. And he deserves this kind of attention and moment is Trey Mancini. For everything he's come back from and everything he went through, he's been playing so well this year and he is just... Baltimore is just baseball purgatory, right? I mean, I guess at least he's not in Pittsburgh. Like, I don't know what else to say, but like, nobody's paying attention to this guy and they, and they should be. I, I have to imagine that they've already engraved his name on the Comeback Player of the Year award because I don't know why you would give it to anyone else. But man, it would be great for him to get some some recognition in, in, a, in a national spotlight like this. I would love to see him and Otani in the finals. They're on opposite sides of the bracket, so... It's possible. It's possible. We'll see. I forgot Mancini was in it, so now I feel like a jerk. Like emotionally, <laughs> no question. I want Trey Mancini to win. No, no question about it. Second, I want Trevor Story. Third is definitely Shohei Otani. Yeah. The the other thing that that's great about this Derby is like I'm looking at this and I don't know. I mean, even if you had none of those guys, like Juan Soto winning the Derby would be awesome. Joey Gallo hitting fifty five hundred and thirty oh, foot home runs would be awesome. <laughs> I, I mean. I don't know. Like I like Matt Olson. I think it'd be fun to see Matt Olson win. He's not, he's down the list from those other guys. I don't know. The only guy who honestly, and, and this is nothing against this guy. Cause he's a, he is a perfectly fine baseball player and he seems like a good guy and I have nothing against him, but like, I really have no interest in Salvador Perez winning the home run derby. Yeah. He's this the one boring the option. And I'm just like, eh, okay. It'd be good for catchers. I mean, it'd be for, you know, it'd be, it would be kind of crazy. I guess that's true. A catcher winning the home run derby would be something. So, there you go. Something that's to root for for every yeah. player in the home run derby. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good little exercise. <laughs> All right. So let's get into our the, the fantasy angle here because there is not a lot of fantasy value in the home run derby. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start off. Like I said, we, we just came up with some questions to shoot back and forth at each other. I'm going to start off with one. Since we just talked about Sal Perez, let's talk catchers. Mm-hmm. And I pulled up on Fangraphs the major league leaders in WOBA for the last month leading up to the All-Star break uh, with a minimum of 60 plate appearances. So averaging two plate appearances a day over the last month, basically enough that you've been, you know, it includes catchers, but it's only guys who are playing pretty regularly. Your top five in Major League Baseball in WOBA over that time, Kyle Schwarber, not a surprise given the heater he went on, Joey Gallo, we've already talked about him, Shohei Otani, who everybody has always talked about nonstop since the season started, your number four and number five are Elias Diaz and Luis Torrens, the Rockies and Mariners catchers, respectively. I I uh, I did not expect to see either of those names at the top of a month-long Woba list, but there they are. Are those guys you're targeting? 
are, are those like, I mean, are you looking at, you know, catcher? I feel like there's like, you know, a couple of good catchers and then everyone else is just like, hope you hit somebody who was on a hot streak. Are you going after either of those guys? Yeah, that's exactly what you just described is 100,000% my approach at the catcher position. A lot of people miss out on the JT. Obviously, there's going to be a ton of teams that miss out on that. Real Muto, Salvador Perez, like, you know, golden top of the catcher position. If you're somebody who's missing out on on Contreras as well, Grandal as well, even Gary Sanchez, I think we can include in that in that list now. Well, that means, you know, you're just going to be in the bottom half of your league at catcher. Well, don't get married to any one player. I think that's foolish. You ride the hot hand. In terms of those two players in particular, we talk about Diaz and we talk about Torrens. I'd prefer Diaz because I think his playtime is a little bit safer. Dom Nunez is a player I've liked in the past. But the problem is, for ba- in terms of just baseball, Dom Nunez is not valued very highly by the Rockies because he strikes out so much. Like, as fantasy players, we're okay with the strikeouts as long as we're not getting penalized for it in our points leagues because it's going to come with a lot of power in Nunez's case. But I think Diaz is probably going to play more in the second half. And so if I've just got a catcher in Diaz who maybe I'll just pick him up when he has weeks at home and then I'll drop him and no one's going to add him, I think that's a fine strategy. I think he could produce okay, but you probably missed out on the the height of it. For Torrens, though, I do worry because I know what your next question is going to be about, Chad. And I, all of a sudden with Cal Raleigh in the picture, I don't know what Torrens' playtime situation is going to be. The Mariners have a lot of players they need to get in the lineup. They have a lot of guy, a lot of infielders. Nobody that's like irreplaceable, really, aside from one or two guys. But I think Torrens could find himself on the outside more often than not. I mean, they didn't call up Cal Raleigh to sit him, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, he's got to be up there to play. So I'm I'm a little... Yeah, I'm super perplexed. He's He's been DHing some, Torrens has. And so maybe that's the plan with him, uh, which... Could be enough to get him regular playing time if he's basically their catcher and then their backup, or sorry, their backup catcher and their regular DH. Sure. But I have to imagine Raleigh's up to play. If you look at that last month, you know, the other thing that jumped out at me about these two, anytime I look at monthly leaderboards, and I do this fairly often, just to try to identify people who might be breaking out or something like that. When you see guys who are up at the top, you don't expect at the top you can often quickly point to something like Babbitt. And I'll give you a great example. Number 12 on this list for this last month is David Fletcher. David Fletcher has a 433 WOBA for the last month. Um, he is sandwiched in between Trey Turner and Brandon Lowe at, at number 12 in that WOBA list. He has a 451 Babbitt. So if you're looking for a reason to, to explain why David Fletcher's up there, that's it. When I look at Torrens and Diaz, Diaz has an 11.8% walk rate, a 7.4% strikeout rate, and a 286 BABIP over the last month. Torrens is at 14.5% walks, 21.7% strikeouts, and a 270 BABIP. They both have super high ISOs that that are, I'm sure, not going to continue, um, at least not at the the rate that they've been at. But they're that's you know they're not being inflated by by batted ball luck at least not purely by batted ball luck they're actually hitting the ball really really well over that last month and so yeah i'm i'm intrigued by them i think you're right if you're not if you're not looking at one of those top catchers like you might as well go after these guys and see if you can't capture lightning in a bottle for a little while i do think diaz is probably the better choice i do worry about cal raleigh stealing torrens's time which i think leads to the next question which is are you targeting Raleigh? Is he a guy who you think cracks the top 12 to 15 catchers and should be rostered in one catcher leagues or two catcher leagues? Catchers need to be rostered. Your Raleigh is almost for sure. If a guy has a starting job in a two catcher league, you probably need to roster him. What about one catcher leagues? Sure. Yeah. I mean, like if you drop Christian Vasquez for Cal Raleigh, it might not work. Maybe Vasquez bats 280 the rest of the way, hits for a little bit of power. He's in a great lineup. Sure. There are definitely reasons maybe not to do it, but like, is that going to make or break your season? No. However, if Cal Raleigh gets called up and has an OPS over 850 in the major leagues, and he was doing way better than that this year in the minor leagues, and he's a career, I want to say, I'm looking at his career o- OPS right now. Yeah, in the minors, he's a career 873 OPS in the minor leagues. And granted, that's 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 actually a pretty big sample size. It's 777 at-bats. That's not necessarily going to translate perfectly, but like you can, you can afford to do that. So... If I am the guy with Christian Vasquez or I am the guy with, I don't want to say Max Stassi because I actually kind of kind of like Max Stassi, but if I'm missing one of those top seven or eight catchers, I'll drop whoever for Cal Raleigh because 
There's a chance Cal, Cal Raleigh becomes one of those top seven to eight. Whereas a guy like Vasquez, and I hate to keep picking on him, he's just the name that's in my head. I'll add James McCann. There's another one. They're they're not going to enter that class of catcher. They're interchangeable. Yadi Molina, even though he's having a nice season, I, I'd, I'd include him in that as well. Not that I would rush out to drop Yadi Molina for Cal Raleigh. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. And I think you're right. You're it's a there's a little bit of a question here with a guy like Raleigh for me of of what you're trying to do with a team. And in a keeper league, there's huge value in that because if Raleigh is everything he could be, you've now got a guy locked in at your catcher spot, possibly for years to come, uh, which is a super valuable place to be. Uh, especially if he came cheap, right? If you can get him inexpensively and, and lock him in, that just makes a huge difference. If you're in a league with fewer keepers where, where even a good season from Raleigh might not make him a keeper, if you're in a league where you need stability and you need some, you'd be happy with mediocre production, but you need that mediocre production, then I could see why you would keep keep a Vasquez or keep a McCann, right? Like they're, they're safer than Raleigh. And so it depends a little bit, I think, what you need. But I, my inclination is almost always to take the bet and, and go after the guy who has the upside. I can see cases where you'd be like, man, I don't know if I want to do that. I think I'm better off just like stable production, guy who has a job. He's not getting like, here's the thing. Cal Raleigh could be a top five catcher, you know, from a fantasy perspective the rest of the season. He also could be in AAA in two weeks. <laughs> and so it's it's really hard to know you know, you're taking a bigger risk. And so if you do move on from Vasquez and he starts hitting well and Raleigh doesn't, now you're stuck with whoever else is still out there when you when you have to ditch Raleigh and move on to someone else. It's such a good point. I mean, it comes down to the size of your league as well, because, you know, we're talking one catcher leagues here, right? Because because like Chad said, if you're in a two catcher league, he's going to be rostered no matter what. But if I'm, I'm in a 16-team league, I'll use my league as an example. If my catcher is Christian Vasquez and, and I drop him for Cal Raleigh and it doesn't work out, well, now my options are Elias Diaz, Jacob Stallings, or Wilson Ramos. Those are the top three catchers available in my 16-team league. In a 10-team league, I'm taking that risk. Absolutely. I'll, I'll say see you later to Vasquez or James McCann right now for Cal Raleigh. But if it's any deeper where you can't, you won't be able to fall back. Cause in a 10-team league, maybe you'll be able to fall back on maybe McCann's still going to be there. Maybe even Vasquez is still going to be there. They're not going to be there in a 16-team league. You are essentially saying goodbye permanently, and that may be too much of a risk. But there might be somebody else you can drop, not that you want to roster two catchers in a one-catcher league. But in Cal Raleigh's case, maybe he turns into you know a star here. I, I, I don't want to leave that out there, so i got to find somebody else I can drop. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. And that's that's probably the right way to think about it, with not just with Raleigh, but with Torrens and Diaz as well, who we're talking about, right? Like there, There's some upside there. Um, I do think Raleigh has the biggest long-term upside. He's the most likely of those three to establish himself as a star, just given the prospect pedigree. Um, but he's probably also the riskiest. I will say about Torrens, he does have an 866 OPS against lefties, which is kind of exciting. But Cal Raleigh's a switch hitter and a hot prospect. So if that sticks out to you, you're like, ah, oh, maybe this turns into kind of a platoon. It's not going to. If if Raleigh hits, that's it for Torrens. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. So that was my first question. Actually, my first two questions. Let's move over to some of your questions, Pete. What, what do you want to start with? Yeah, if it's cool with you, I want to start with the most pressing issue. Uh, and sure. that is Ronald Acuna Jr., who that was devastating. Uh, that was so sad, especially you see him in all that pain. It's just like, oh, that's that's obviously not good. Um, and it's it's horrible also if you're rostering him in a keeper league. Maybe not in a keeper league. I mean, in redraft, it's certainly worse. You're going to get him back probably in May or June uh, of next year. So, Chad, my question for you is what is fair value? Because if you're contending this year, like I don't, I wouldn't be ready to just throw it all away because Acuna got hurt. I might be able to get some pieces to really win this thing using him. So what is fair dra- trade value? Like I don't know if you want to give me names or a range of – like top 12 players, top 15, what would you be willing to surrender Ronald Acuna Jr. for in a keeper league to, to stay in it, to try and win it? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, and I will go back, by the way, I do think it's a bigger deal in keeper leagues than it is in redraft. Because in redraft, you've lost him. It's going to be really hard to get value back for him, but you just drop him, right? You drop him, you move on, you figure out what you can do. And like, it's there's at least a plan in front of you. In a keeper league man, you have a really tough call about whether or not you want to trade him. Because, you know, 
you could trade him and he could be the it could be the difference between winning a championship and not. It also could not be, right? You could trade him away, get some great pieces and have it not be enough. Or you could trade him away and get great pieces and it turns out you didn't need them, you were going to run away with the league anyways. And then he's gone and you don't have him for next year. And so then you also have to decide like, is that worth it or should I just wait? So I, I think that my I tend to be a go for it kind of guy. I tend to believe that you when you have a shot to win, you take your shot to win. And so if you're in a position to win, I think I would trade him. In a keeper league, I'm probably more likely to trade him for another star player, star-ish player, who is either slightly less valuable or slightly more expensive or something like that. It's so like I'm going to use Otto New as an example here because Otto New is, I think, a pretty a pretty good place to, to think about this kind of bet. Um, in League One, which is one of the, the original Otto New League, the guy who has Acuna Jr. is in second place right now. His Acuna is $39, which is an excellent price. It's a four by four league, and the Roto League prices, if you're used to auto new points prices, they're, it's a steeper price curve in points league. The most expensive players are more expensive. So $39 in four by four is still a very good price for Acuna Jr., but it's not what you, it's not the same as $39 would be for him in, uh, in points. If I'm that manager, I am probably looking for another one of two things: either a star outfielder who's in like the fifty to sixty dollar range, so someone who can come close to replacing Acuna's value this year, but may not be a keeper next year. Can I throw um, an example? Sure. Uh, uh, Trevor Story comes to mind. Would he kind of qualify for a player like that? Yeah, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think, like, I, you know, I've been, I, I'm in third place in that league, and so I'm debating whether or not I want to make a run at Acuna at his price, even though it would mean probably locking myself into third place and taking away any shot I have of catching the team in second. Sure. But like, I have a uh, a thirty six dollar Nolan Arenado. Like, is that a good starting point? I don't actually know. I haven't taken a look to see if Acuna's team needs a third baseman. If they don't need a third baseman or a util, then that doesn't work out. But if they do, I think that's sort of a reasonable place to start. If I'm giving up Acuna, I probably want a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. But I think you're going to do better off trying to just plug that hole with as much offensive production as you can, as quickly as you can. Or pitching. If we, if your offense is great and you're like, whatever, I can live without Acuna on offense. I need pitching, and so I'm going to use him to... That's, that's fine too. The other option is to go out and try to trade for like four solid players. And so like, I'm looking at, again, looking at my roster and I I don't even know if I would do this, but like I have a $19 Max Kepler. I have a $17 Eugenio Suarez. I have a $31 Anthony Rizzo who might be a little bit, I don't know. I don't don't know how I feel about that. Um, Expensive. Yeah. I've got some pitching that's sort of that material. Like, Maybe if I'm maybe if I'm Acuna's manager, I'm targeting like three to four of those guys and trying to like shore up a bunch of positions, right? So maybe if you got a team that you're like, man, I'm in second or third place and Acuna's been carrying me, but like my middle infield hasn't been great and my corner infield hasn't been great, and I could really use a replacement in the outfield, then I could see a case where you say, like, okay, instead of going after a, you know, a stud like Arenado and maybe one other piece, I go after, you know three or four guys who will combine to be really valuable and plug a bunch of holes. But man, I, I don't know. Actually, this, got, this has me thinking now. I'm going to go look in in Auto New Points Leagues. I'm looking at an Auto New Fangraphs Points Leagues. I'm going to pull up Acuna. Let's see if there have been any trades made because I bet there have been. So the most recent trades in Fangraphs Points just to yesterday... Acuna, a $41 Acuna was traded for a $50 Mookie Betts and a $1 Jake Cousins. So I think that fits in that first one of like a star player who is, you know, Betts is $50 instead of 41. So he's more expensive. He's producing, but not quite at the same level as Acuna. It's a good sort of comparison to the the Arenado comment I made before. Um, Also yesterday, Acuna at $47 traded for a a $68 Mookie Betts. So it, it seems like it's, uh, Acuna for expensive bets is is what's going on. Um, those are the only two I see in Fangraphs points season long leagues that have been made 
since the injury. In a head-to-head league, there was a $53 Acuna for a $23 Eloy Jimenez. So that's sort of an interesting one. Jimenez should be back soon-ish, it seems. He's, he's on his way to Charlotte, it sounds like, for rehab. If he's headed to Charlotte now, it shouldn't be too much longer before we see him in Chicago. Um, and so in that case, you're getting a lot less production, but you're getting a much better price. So you're getting you know, better production this year. You're getting some production this year, even if it's less, and you're getting a keeper at the same time, which is kind of a nice thing. Uh, let's look at auto new... Let's see if there's anything in 5x5. Five five. Here we go. 5x5 five five trade. Acuna Jr. at $49 for a, a $27 Starling Marte and a $40 Trevor Story. So that's, I, I, it sounds like we were on the right page in terms of what other people are doing, right? They're going out and getting a big time, a Story, uh, Betts, an Arenado, someone like that, an Eloy to replace them and maybe getting... You know, uh, uh, probably overpriced Starling Marte, an exciting um, Jay Cousins. Like they're getting something else small with it in some cases, not all. But that does seem to be the the path people are taking, and I think it's what I would do. Yeah, if I'm not, that's he's such a rare talent. Like this isn't like like Freddie Freeman suffered an injury for the rest of the year. Where it's like, all right, in keeper leagues, I'm definitely, I'm going to get, if I'm in contention, I'm going to move Freeman for whatever package is going to most help my team. In Acuna's case, this package has to absolutely put my team at least right back to where it was with Acuna for me to move him. And and probably, honestly, because it's a keeper format a little bit further. Now, because he tore his ACL, I think there's this, there's going to be this concern about the stolen bases when he returns. Outside of that, I, I have no long-term issues. I, I don't even have any bounce-back issues. The player that comes to mind for me, and I don't know why because a lot of players have tore their ACLs, is Salvador Perez. Now, Perez is over 30, and he's a catcher. He tore his ACL, I want to say, was it 2018 or 2019? Either way, he had a great year last year, and he's having arguably his best season this year. So, And he's a catcher with all that weight on his knees. So if you're thinking like, I have to move Acuna because he might not be the same Acuna when he comes back, this is not like Tommy John surgery. He's going to come back and light the world on fire. It's just going to be in nine to 10 months. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think they're, I worry about speed drying up for star players anyways, because Amen. I just think they they stop trying to run. And so, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think I, I'm not super worried about this changing his production. I think he'll come back at full strength. I think there are reasons to believe that, you know, speed will will hit the stolen bases will dip regardless of this. I don't think this is a factor in that. So I don't think that I don't think this does anything for me to change my long term expectations for Ronald Acuna Jr. Um, I, I think that this question of like it has to get me back to where I was or maybe even a little beyond in a keeper league. I don't know. I, I mean <laughs> I think it depends. I guess to this, you're probably not going to find a trade that replaces Acuna Jr. Oh, you can't. He's, he's too you good. Can't. And even a trade where you get two or three players back, it's going to be hard to actually replace him. And so I'm less worried about like, like this is a case where you have to focus on winning your league rather than winning the trade, right? I think almost any trade you make of Acuna Jr. right now, you're going to look back a year from now in any keeper format and think, Man, that didn't really. That isn't great. I'm not sure I should have made that trade. I'm not thrilled with the results of that trade. Unless you win. Unless you win. And so your focus can't be on how I'm going to make sure I feel good about this. How am I going to get back to where I was or better? Your focus has to be on. All right, this is what my team looks like today. I don't have Acuna Jr. I've got these other guys. This is what I need to do to win. This is the gap I need to fill. And if the gap you need to fill is like if your team is so good, but you still need some random average third baseman to put you over the top, or you need some random average outfielder to just somewhat replace what Acuna was doing. That doesn't mean you should go out and just trade for that average player because you can get better than that. But like focus on filling that need and getting your team over the top. Don't focus on winning the trade. So when I say I want to get my team back to where it was, I don't want that to come across to listeners as I I need to find a way to replace Ronald Acuna Jr. What I'm saying is like, so I'm going to go back to my, that league I'm in. I'm in a 16 team. We just keep three. There's no price for keeping keepers. If you have Ronald Acuna Jr., you could keep him forever. 
but it's a 16 team league. It is very difficult to win this league and it's head to head. If I had him and I'm in contention, I want something like, I'm just going to throw random names out there. I want something like JD Martinez, Hyunjin Ryu, and I don't know, name a, name a closer, Mark Melanson or something like that. And honestly, because I don't think any three of those would be a keeper for me in this league, because I mean, you only keep the top 48 players, 16 teams, three keepers. I still might reject that, but I want some kind of package that is going to improve my entire team for me to move Ronald Acuna Jr. Even if I'm in contention. Yeah, I I think that makes sense. I think the, the only counterpoint that is it's what we were talking about with the Rangers before, right? You could sit there and just choose not to trade Acuna, but at some point, if you don't make a trade, you're probably giving up your shot to win. And you've got to, at some point, make a decision about whether you're willing to do that. And I think, um, you certainly want to signal to your league that you're willing to do that. You want them to believe that that's where you are. And I wouldn't jump at, like, if you get a trade offer tonight and it's great and it does what you need, take it. But if you get a trade offer tonight that you're like, man, this probably gets me what I need, but it doesn't really feel like what I want, wait. Because waiting a week or two is, especially right now, no one's even playing games for the next couple of days. So you got time. So wait, give yourself at least a little bit of time, as long as you got time before your trade deadline to feel things out, tell people no. Um, the chances are a deal you reject today will still be there in a week or two. And so that, you know, that, you know, Martinez, Melanson, and Ryu that you just talked about, if somebody offers you that today and you're like, you know what? That's probably enough to get my team where it needs to be, but I'm not sure I love it. I'm going to turn it down. Turn it down. And in two weeks, if nothing better has come along and you feel like, you know what? That really would get me where I need to be. You can always go back and ask for that again. And my guess is that team is not going to change their mind. Yeah. No, 100%. And one more thing to tack on. Not that any of our listeners would do this. And maybe people feel different about this. Uh, Maybe there's more that gamesmanship element. But whenever there's a, a freak incident injury that knocks a guy out don't be the guy in your league that tries to send somebody a trade offer right away to dupe somebody it didn't happen to me because i i just breathe baseball and if something happens i i tend to know about it pretty quickly but in a league i immediately got offered vladimir guerrero jr for ronald acuna and i don't know maybe you feel different maybe that's a that's an acceptable practice but to me that's just that's just dirty it is on the if you're going to accept the trade you should know what you're getting in return but that just that feels dirty to me if it were me, don't be that guy. Someone offered you their Acuna for your Vlad. Is that what you're saying? Immediately after the injury. It was like, yeah. injured, here's a, here's a trade offer. I, that's just so I, dirty I think, to me. I agree. I think if you're going to do that, and if you're doing that because you're doing it under the right reasons, you're actually sitting there thinking, okay, I've got to figure out a way to improve my team. This other team might actually prefer Acuna to Vlad. Send a note with your trade offer that says, hey, don't know if you saw... Acuna just went down. It looks like his season's over. I'm a little panicked and trying to like fix my team here. Seems like you could wait on Acuna for next year. Right. Is there a deal that we can make here? Like that, that's like, do that if you want. In general, though, yeah, I agree. Like, I'm not, first of all, like, wait for actual news (laughs) because he could have like, it could have been like, oh, it's a sprain. Nothing's torn. He's going to be back in three weeks. It didn't seem likely. Well, remember, he he had a similar, it wasn't similar because he ended up fine, but I want it was his rookie or sophomore year running to first base. People thought he tore his ACL. He was on the ground writhing yeah. pain and he missed like two games. Well, look at, look at Tatis earlier this year with the shoulder. People oh, were that's like, a great example. He, who knows when he'll be back? He might miss the whole season. And like, I was super worried about it, but you wait and you wait and hear what the news is and make sure that you actually understand what's going on before you do anything. But, you know, and, and similarly, if I'm in a league where somebody has Acuna and I think this is the right time to sort of strike and try to get him, I'm probably, and it depends a little bit on the league and what you know about the other managers and things like that, I'm probably not going to inquire. I'm going to wait for them to say, put him on their trade block or make a comment that they're looking to trade him. Maybe after a few days, I might reach out and be like, hey, don't know if you're looking to replace Acuna. If you are, I'd be interested. But I'm not even making an offer, trying to do just let them figure out what they want to do for a couple reasons. First of all, if you immediately show up with a trade offer, I think in some of those cases, teams will, managers will like lock down, sure. right? They go from like, they're, they're already angry and upset about what happened. They're frustrated and they're like, man, 
freaking vultures are already circling. I'm not trading this guy. Screw them. I'm I'm going to sit on him. I'll keep him for next year, but whatever. Give them time to come to the realization that a trade is the best for them or something like that, and then <laughs> reach out. Or like I said, reach out and be like, dude, that sucks. Really sorry to you know, see that happened. Terrible for you. Terrible for the Braves. Terrible for baseball. If you decide you're up for trading and let me know, I'm playing for next year anyways. Like That's totally fine, but just be human about it. <laughs> Correct. Don't if you just immediately jump in and start lowballing, it's it's a sign that like it's very clear why you're doing that. Yep. And in a long term league, I'm sorry, Acuna has not lost that much value. So get out of here with that. No way. Yeah, totally agree. So any other questions? What else do you want to ask me? What should we jump to next? Uh, sure. So <clears throat> I think we should go to one of the top prospects that's been called up. We talked about Cal Raleigh, but there was another one called up and we haven't had a chance to talk about it just yet. And that is Vidal Bruyan. He's one for nine with three strikeouts and a, his one hit was his very first at bat. But obviously there's no reason to be concerned the rest of the season. So I just want to know like how you value him. And I want to start with it because I got a couple questions of Bruyan. I want you to rank some guys and so on and so forth. But let's just start with this. What's a fair comparison for Bruyon in terms of his ceiling, first of all, and what you think his most likely outcome is over the next one to three years, because we can't, we can't sit here and predict careers, but we're talking fantasy. We're specifically talking keeper league. So we're looking, you know, two, four years ahead at most. What do you think of Bruyon? So, you know, I gotta be honest, but being a, being primarily focused in auto new leagues and not playing in a lot of leagues for stolen bases are valued. I've undervalued Bruyan compared to a lot of other formats over the last few years. And I think if you go back and look at his minor league track record, he's had some little bursts of power, kind of. He had some time in 2018 at high A where he had a 235 ISO. But in general, he's just lacked power. He's been sort of a speed-only guy for most of his minor league career, or speed and average, I guess. Um, he gets on base at a decent clip because he doesn't strike out a ton and he's got a pretty good walk rate. But I've I've sort of undervalued him. And then this year, now, you know, in triple A, he's got nine home runs in 49 games, 216 plate appearances. That's all of a sudden like a 20, 25, 25 to 30 actually home run pace, which is a, a pretty nice jump. He still has his 15 stolen bases in that time. He's got a 212 ISO in the minors. And so he's starting to show some power and like you know, I'm looking at his his Fangraphs page right now, and they have this nice little prospects TLDR for like a, a report on guys, just a one line report. And the one line report on him is that he's an athlete, and he is an elite athlete with a chance to come into relevant power later in his 20s. If he grows into that power, that's a really big game changer for him because as it stands right now, he strikes me as. I don't know, upside of Whit Merrifield, something like that, maybe even less power than that, maybe maybe upside of, I, mean, I can't really think of a great example, a, a speedier Tommy Edmond might be a good example, which is why in, in Fangraph's points leagues and auto new 4x4 leagues, he just hasn't been on the radar for me. If he grows into that power and becomes a 20 home run hitter, you know, now you're talking about Trey Turner type upside, wow. maybe not quite as much power as Turner. Um, and I don't think it's fair to assume he's going to reach that level, right? I don't think that's, that's a, that's not what I'm betting on, but he certainly has the speed to steal 40 bases, 50 bases. And he, if he suddenly has the power to hit 20 home runs as well, man, I mean, that's a, that's a special player in five by five uh, and, and it'll play in any format, right? There's no format where you're unhappy with that. Uh, I'm still not sold he's going to grow into that much power. And because of that, I'm still thinking, I, I don't know, I would bet on, I'm trying to think of a good example. Merrifield is the name that comes to mind. I want to go back and look at like the 2019, since that was our last full season, final stats. And so like, why do you do that? I was, I, I've heard the Merrifield comparison and I mm -hmm. like it. Um, I was thinking, you know, looking at looking at everything, the power is a little streaky. Who knows if it's legit, but he has 70 grade speed. I think 
in terms of maybe a ceiling, and I again, the ceiling is a little limitless. That's why we're having trouble with the comparison, right? Because if he develops the power with 70 grade speed, it is a kind of a limitless ceiling. But what people drafted Adalberto Mondesi to be, because a lot of people were questioning Adalberto's Mondesi, Adalberto Mondesi's power. But at some point, like it, it seems pretty legit. And that's a conversation for another day. But I think that's a, that's a pretty safe no, I shouldn't say safe, but a pretty decent, decent comp in terms of the speed and potentially the power combo, what people drafted Alberto Modesty to be. And now obviously due to injuries, he didn't have an opportunity to prove that or not. But what they drafted him to be, I think, could be the ceiling of Vidal Brion. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Mondesi has had much higher strikeout rates and much lower walk rates uh, throughout his career, including in the minors. And so from a power speed combo, I can see what you're saying, but I think Bruhan, Bruyan is, if I'm betting on on base percentage or average as part of the mix, I, I like what I'm getting from him better than what I'm getting from Mondesi most likely. That's and so as I, you know, as I look back, I mean, like your major league leader in stolen bases in 2019 was Malik Smith, who had 46 stolen bases. He had six home runs. That is a year ago, if you had asked me what I was expecting as a ceiling from Bruyan, but Malik's had a 227 average, 300 on base. I think you're going to get a lot better than that on both those numbers from Vidal. So it sounds like um, a ceiling could be Jose Ramirez. Yeah. I mean, if he puts up that kind of power, but I, I just, I don't, I don't believe he's going to put up that kind of power. I, I'm, I'm more likely to bet on, um, again, looking at that 2019 season, Elvis Andrews had 12 home runs, 31 stolen bases, a 275 average, a 313 on base percentage. 2019 Andrews plus a better walk rate. Yeah, feels I like, like that a, one a lot. A reasonable place to be. 10 to maybe 15 home runs, 30 to 40 stolen bases, decent average, decent on base. He's not going to win you average or on base, but he's not going to hurt you in either either, you know. So he is a, I think he'll be a positive in both those categories, you should say. It's more than that he won't hurt you. He's not, this isn't, you know, there are guys who have like a bad on base percentage. Actually, Andrews is a good example of this, where if you're in an on base league, Andrews isn't helping you in on base, but he's not hurting you that much. He's not that big of a problem. And if you need the stolen bases plus a little bit of pop, why not? Um, I think that Brian is more like, he helps you in average. He helps you in on base. He doesn't win either of those categories for you. And then he does enough of everything else to be really valuable. If our listeners are listening to that and thinking, oh, Elvis Andrus, what? Elvis Andrus's peak was a highly valuable fantasy yeah. player. And so if that's that's Bruyan this early in his career, he is 100,000% a, a player worth rostering and holding on to. Yeah, Andrus is a guy who I think has been in 5x5 five five leagues fairly undervalued you know, he's got his his 2017 season. He had 20 home runs, 25 stolen bases. Other than that, he's only been over that 2019 season. Which is the only other season he's been in double digits for home runs. And so I am talking about Brian being sort of closer to peak Andrews than average Andrews. But right. he's a guy, I mean, 272 career batting average. He was, he was a lock for 20 to 25 steals a season and was putting up 35 to 40 at times. I think... People forget how valuable Andrews was in that format. I do think for our auto new listeners, there is the same risk with Bruyan that there is with an Andrews or someone like that, where in leagues where you don't get value for those steals, the the floor is a lot lower. There's a lot, because the steals are what's bankable, right? That's like with Bruyan, you want to know what you can just rely on, pencil into your lineup, feel good about, it's the steals. Everything else is a lot more projection and growth and risk yeah that's that's fair so chad I, I wanted to throw out some some comparisons for you well no, i guess not comparisons but a ranking i want you to rank these names for me um there's some that we've certainly talked more about in the past each one of these guys is a second baseman but a few of them have position flexibility elsewhere across the diamond i don't know if that flexibility for all of them will hold up next year the first one is brandon Lowe. Brandon Lowe, extremely streaky player. He's come alive with five home runs in his last five games. And by the way, this ranking I want to be for keeper leagues. Obviously, folks, we're talking keeper, ought new leagues, so it can be for ought new as well. But we're assuming they're all the same salary, which is not going to be the case. So Brandon Lowe, um, Vidal Bruyon, Max Muncy. This next name I think might surprise some people, but he's shown glimpses of being pretty awesome this year, and that's Luis 
Urias of the Milwaukee Brewers and Jazz Chisholm, my guy. So five names, Chad. How would you rank those for keeper and not new formats going forward, assuming all things being equal? Yeah, so it's an interesting one because in some ways it's really, really different players. Uh, and so there's almost, it's like almost easier to draw comparisons between pairs of them. Like Muncie and Brandon Lau are both going to, did I get that wrong again? Yeah, it's back. I, I always mess it up, but I did just double check. It is low rhymes with now, not low rhymes with uh, low. My apologies <laughs> to miss. My apologies to Mr. Lau. Mr. Lau, yeah. So I'll get it one day. Episode six hundred. I'll have it down pat. Brandon Lau, Max Muncie are the two guys in that list who are going to provide you power, right? If you if you are looking for twenty plus home runs, I mean we're only halfway through the season. Muncie's at nineteen. Lau is at twenty one. So. That's where you're going to get your power from. Between those two, I prefer Muncie. He's going to give you better average and on-base percentage. He has a better walk rate. He strikes out less. He's less streaky, I think. Um, I just So I, I'd bet on Muncie between those two. I think he's out of place in this group. I think uh, so. If I could re- he's, he's monumentally more valuable than those other four I, names. I think that's probably true. I think that the, the challenge is he doesn't provide you any speed. So if you need speed, if you're looking for speed then you get into a whole different conversation. Um, I think so. I, I, but I agree. I would put Muncie as a clear number one. I think in five by five formats, I I think I would still bet on Chisholm as number two on that list on the basis that I think, man, him versus Lau is really interesting. Um, I think Lau's he's less risky, but he's also got lower upside. He'll provide you more power almost for sure, but Chisholm's going to give you better average. He's going to give you probably very similar on base percentage if you're in an on base league. He's going to give you a lot more stolen bases and he's going to give you a lot less power. So that's, I mean, I have a tough time choosing between those two, but I think that I would take the all category production out of Chisholm over Lau, but I'm, I'm already questioning that. Um. So I think for, <laughs> format definitely matters a little bit. And I don't say that because like they're, they're both going to, they both strike out quite a bit. Sure. I know Chisholm has improved quite a bit this year compared to where he was, but he was in a dark place in terms of strikeouts. They're both going to strike out a lot, but in head to head leagues and, and maybe, maybe Chisholm does end up being a pretty streaky player himself. Like, I mean, you know, his, his, June was horrible, whereas his his May and April were all terrific, and he's hitting 263 this month, so it's kind of in between the three. But Brandon Lau is, or, I said that right, yeah. Brandon Lau is so streaky <laughs> that like there are weeks in head to head leagues he's gonna like lose you the week. Now you could say, well, he's gonna win you other weeks, but I, I don't want anything to do with those players. I don't, I don't want to roster somebody that is gonna lose me certain weeks. But in rotisserie, if I'm just taking the whole season of Brandon Lau. I could see that ending up being more valuable than Jazz Chisholm. So I think you're right. It is close. But with speed being so rare, I think I agree with you that I would put Chisholm above above Lau for that that one reason maybe alone, but also the streakiness worries me. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's the, the I think that all makes sense. I do think my big concern here is if I was if you were telling me a year from now you're going to look back and one of these guys the bottom will have just completely fallen out and it'll turn out he's not very good at all. Chisholm is way more likely to suffer that fate than Lau. And so that I think that's maybe a reason to put Lau first, but man, it's th- those two are they're so different. It's it's so weird to say that they're so close because like you would never use one as a comp for the other, but they are very close. So that puts us with if those two are sort of a very close two three. I think I, I mean I think I'm choosing Bruyne over Lu- Luis Urias, and I think it's mostly based on the fact that I still think he has more upside. I think there's a decent chance that Urias can give you something like 20 home runs and seven to nine stolen bases or something like that. And Bruyne might be more like 10 home runs, but he might get 40 stolen bases. Uh, and I think he'll, I don't know, I, you're playing a speculation game with those two is really what it comes down to, right? I mean, I think... Urias has shown at times in the minors some pretty impressive bat skills and, and plate discipline. And if he can get back to a place where he's, you know, if you go back to 2016, which is a while ago now, 
But even in AAA, I mean, he was consistently running K percentages under 10% and consistently running walk percentages over 10%. He's lost, like, like those K numbers have risen quite a bit. And I think part of that is him trying to hit for a bit more power. And so it may be an intentional choice. But if he can start to bring down that K percentage a little bit, he's still running, like he's running a 279 BAPIP this year. I think he's a guy who could run a higher BAPIP than that. There, there's still a lot of potential for him to, to break out at another level. Uh, he's only 24 years old. Whereas, but obviously with Bruyan, we're talking pure speculation right now too. So I think I would take Bruyan in a five by five. I think I would take Urias in a, like in a Fangraphs points or something like that, where stolen bases aren't as valuable. I think I would take Urias over Bruyan, um, but go the other way in five by five. And it's a, it, this is a case where like, if you want to tell me that you still project one of those guys as a star and the other one is a merely good player, I'm not going to argue with you. I can t- I can see that. Yeah, I, I, there's many different pathways for this list after Max Muncy. I think if it was me, and this is going to be a little bit surprising because you're going to be higher on Jazz Chisholm than I am, but if it's a keeper, I'm going Muncy number one. And then I, I'm looking at Vidal Bruyan and, and thinking the ceiling is in a way kind of limitless if those 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 progresses he made in power end up being legit particularly i mean we look at this year and i I know he had a horrible what was it june yeah he had a bad june but he had a great start to the season that potential of him to turn into some like weird form of of trevor story or 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 jose ramirez i want to take the chance on that so i'm actually going to put him second i'm going to put chisholm third because of the speed i'm going to put lao fourth because I hate the streakiness. And as, as much as I want to believe in, in, in Uris, I just think with these four other guys, he just happens to be fifth. I, I totally get where you're coming from on that. Yeah. Totally fair. get it. So what else do you got for me, Chad? So let's see. We can probably do one more question for me before we go to the auto new question of the day. And so I earlier, my first question was about MLB leaders in WOBA over the last month before the break. Let's do the same thing. Let's look at your MLB leaders in FIP Minimum of 20 innings pitched over the last month before the break. In that top five, there are some unsurprising names. Again, three unsurprising names and two that are a little more surprising. Your unsurprising names were actually second, third, and fourth. Zach Wheeler, Jacob DeGrom, Carlos Rodon. Um, those guys are good. There's not a lot to say about them beyond that. They're, they're good. Uh, maybe there's a comment to be made there about the fact that Rodon is that high up in the last month. He's completely sustaining that early impressive breakout, which is is super exciting. But the other two names on that list did surprise me. The the fifth place pitcher in that group with a 2.01 FIP is Jake Odorizzi, who's come back for the the Astros and pitched quite well. 7.27 strikeouts per nine. He's never been a big strikeout guy, so not a huge surprise there. But not walking anybody. 1.38 walks per nine. Has not given up a home run. There is some BAPIP luck there, a 214 BAPIP. But again, that FIP should be independent of that BAPIP. So he's he's still pitching well, mostly because he's not giving up home runs and he is not walking guys. The number one, the best FIP, minimum 20 innings pitch in the last month is Nestor Cortez for the Yankees. I've literally, like, I'll be honest, I hadn't heard his name until I saw him on this list. <laughs> so I'm not even sure what I think. He has a 1.66 FIP over the last month. He's thrown 20 innings. So he's made five relief appearances and two starts, but he's thrown 20 innings. So like the guy, the other guys in this list, Wheeler's at 29.1, DeGrom at 28, Radon at 30, Odorizzi at 26. The next guy on this list is Zach Thompson, who we've all heard a lot about is 20, has thrown 21 innings. So Cortez has thrown, you know, we're talking about a month. It is a small sample size, but for a small sample size, he's thrown plenty. He's a 26 year old. He, I mean, he, he pitched in the majors with Seattle last year, got seven and two thirds innings. He struck out a decent number, 9.39 K per nine last year, but was walking everyone, literally everyone. He had a 7.04 walk per nine last year, went to New York through 15 triple A innings and was brilliant. Uh, and now has been in the majors and made these, you know, five in the last month, five relief appearances, two starts. His season numbers are excellent. His season FIP is 1.92. He's got a 31% strikeout rate and a 10% walk rate. He hasn't given up a home run yet this year. Um, 
His his ground ball rate is kind of low, which is a little concerning on that home run rate. I, man, I don't know. I I mean, I'm not sure what to make of him because I don't know a lot about him. But any thoughts on Nestor Cortez? Sure. Yeah, we we can start with Cortez, and I'll I'll talk a little bit about Odorizzi after. I I mean, it's hard to to figure it out at this point because it's such a small sample size. You look at his minor league numbers. He's he's an over a strikeout and inning guy. That's that's the first place I look. I really care about the strikeouts, but the second place I look is the whip. And through, you know, however many 65 starts in 120 games, he's got a whip of 1.03 in the minor league. So there's there's some skill there. And, and he's performed to this point. However, as much as I'd like him in like a not new format where I could put him in one of those RP slots and accumulate some innings and accumulate some strike, I'd really like that. I think that's a good spot. If you're looking for a starting pitcher, you know, like you're you're maybe fed up with Rich Hill or something like that. Maybe he's not a good example because he doesn't go deep into games. I don't see Nestor Cortez going very deep into outings at all. Um, he he does seem like your typical long man. I'm sure that's how the Yankees view him once they get their rotation healthy again, which who knows if that's ever going to happen. But if they do have something that shapes into a, into a rotation, I think he's the type of guy who, okay, Tyon blew up in the third inning and we need to, we need to get some innings here. Those guys are valuable for fantasy. And if he continues to perform this well, maybe he will start seeing high leverage things in, when the rotation's healthy. But I just think the ceiling is capped. Um, and, and I think if he was going to be a solidified major league starter who's who's really good, then we would have seen something earlier than at his age 26 season. Yeah, that's true. And there, there are some changes that are interesting. His fastball velocity is up. He's at 90.6 so far this year. His three previous cups of coffee really in the majors – uh, 2018 with Baltimore, 2019 with the Yankees, 2020 with Seattle. He was at 88, 89.6, and 88.1. First time he's averaged over 90 on his fastball. So that's, that is interesting. Uh, his pitch mix, his last couple of years, he was using his slider quite a bit, 31.4% of the time and 36.4% of the time. That's down to 21.5%. In the meantime, he's using his curveball more. It's gone from 4.2% in 2019 to 17.6% last year to 22.2% after that. So, you know, you go back a year and he was sort of fastball slider and mixed in some other stuff. Now he's really mixing that fastball slider and curve and he's using a changeup 13% of the time. That's up from last year as well, a career high in his changeup usage. So he's using his changeup and curveball more than ever before, his slider less than ever before. His fastball is actually being used a little bit less as well. So there are there are some changes here that maybe suggest real improvement. Um and so I agree with you in, in a deeper format, in an auto new, uh, I may go look at where I've got room to roster him because I think he's suddenly interesting to me and I wasn't expecting that. Uh, in shallower formats, though, you need, you're not going to get quality starts from him. You're probably not going to get a lot of wins from him. You're not going to get saves from him. So he's more of a watch to see, does he, you know, maybe he establishes himself as part of that rotation. Yeah, he's, I'd like to see. I'd actually like to see the opposite. I'd like to see him be a long man for those deeper formats because I think that pitch mix is going to change so much depending on what they're asking him to do. Like if, if somebody told him like, hey, you're going to throw four innings at most, he doesn't need to have a deep arsenal. But it looks like because of the increased usage in the slider and the changeup that maybe he is trying to deepen his arsenal to become a starter. I don't know. But the changeup has had an expected batting average against of 395. I don't know how much he's going to be able to rely on that pitch. So if he is more like a two to three inning guy who can rely heavily on the on the fastball, which has been terrific despite the low velocity, even though for him it's up, it's still a low velocity yeah. in the curveball. I think he, he could actually have pretty decent value, especially in those odd new leagues. So let's talk Jake Odorizzi. Yeah, let's do it. Um, Odorizzi is, is this, uh, to me, like nothing. nothing's changing here. Um, he's a guy who can perform, can look pretty good, maybe a low whip, pitch five innings. But historically, Jake Odorizzi's problem has been third time through the order. This time, this year, in 2020, so let me start with his career. For his career, third plate appearance against in a game. Opponents have an 850 OPS. For the first and second plate appearances, that's that's a 641 OPS and a 697. The 697 isn't great, but it's not bad. The 850, that's bad. This year, 
it's it's not really different. I mean, granted, it's only 14 at bat. Opponents have only hit against him for 15 play appearances a third time. That's total. Mm-hmm. And that's because the, the Astros know they can't let him go deep in games. And they've got a 905 OPS against him. So like you you have to understand when you take Jake Odorizzi, because if he's available, it's probably a pretty a decently shallow league. Then you're getting a pitcher who could get some wins. He's on a good team, and Houston has had a record of like improving pitchers. And I know I think this year he's throwing his fastball a lot more. He's relying less on the splitter, whatever the case may be. I don't see him ever going deep in the game. So if you're cool with five innings, a potentially pretty low whip, maybe, uh, and very little strikeouts, then he he could surprise you and get some five inning wins. But I I wouldn't buy the recent success, particularly against good offenses, as if like he's he's becoming something else just because he's an Astro. I know that's been a story in the past. I don't think that's happening here. Yeah, no, I think if if the Astros are doing anything, it's just pulling him early. And I think that the good thing is that the team is smart enough to continue to do that. I think where yeah. you've seen him get extended a little bit, maybe a little bit of Dusty Baker being sort of the you know an old school manager who feels like this guy's pitching well, let's let him go a little longer. My guess is that that team and that front office and that that coaching staff as a whole is well aware of his shortcomings and is going to find ways to take care of that. So uh, my guess is that he he mostly goes you know five to six innings and that's that. Um, but you may be able to get in, in leagues where you don't care about quality starts or in leagues where even getting wins may not matter to you in, in points leagues in, in like a Fangraphs points league, auto new um, in four by four for auto new other formats where you're not worried about wins or quality starts. You're going to get some, you could get some good innings out of them. So with that, uh, let's go to your auto new question of the day. Sure. Yeah, let's do it. So it's going to be quick. We had the the draft last night. We haven't really talked about it yet. The Red Sox, I think got the best player in the draft, which we're pretty excited about. Um, so how do you value newly drafted players and not new? When do they become available? Can I start bidding on them right now? Um, <laughs> what, what's the deal with newly drafted players and not new? So let's first let's talk logistics. Then we'll talk value. The auto new player universe is any player who is signed with a major league organization. Now, that means signed with. So the answer is all those guys who were drafted last night, they are not major league signed yet. They are not signed with, sorry, they have not signed with their major league organizations yet. Over the next few weeks, they will get signed. As they get signed, what typically happens is in the auto new forums, if you go to community.autonew.fangraphs.com, is that right? Make sure I've got that URL right. It's community.autonew.com is what it is. If you go to community.autonew.com, there is a, you can search for a player edition thread, official thread for fantasy player edition. And you can go in there and be like, here's the link to the news story that says that, you know, Kumar Rocker signed. Can you make him available? As soon as they sign, they'll get, a, they'll get added and then you can bid on them. So that's the logistics piece of this. They are not eligible to be added until they sign. Once they sign, you can go start an auction on them as soon as they sign, You know, just like any other free agent auction during the season, 48 hours for other teams to bid. From a value perspective, I generally don't value prospects who are far away or who I deem as particularly risky. Almost all of these guys are both of those. We've never seen them against major league or professional pitching, forget major league pitching, uh, professional pitching or professional hitting. We don't know how they're going to fare when they when they start facing even in rookie ball. Um, most of them are at least a good couple years away. And so for the most part, I'm staying away from them. I'm also, I'm not a prospect expert, so I'm not going to give you names here. What I will be doing is over the next couple of weeks, reading up reports on some of the guys who were drafted in the first 10, maybe in the first round. And the things I'm looking for are someone who could be a fast mover where someone's predicting that they could be up in the majors by next season. So can I, can I say something about that really quick for some, I think there's, there's like anything else. There are these things where like one person says it and everybody starts saying it. People were constantly saying this about Jack lighter and I, I never got any explanation why I mean I'm sure the originator maybe maybe Keith fly have no idea could tell me why Jack lighter will move quickly through the system if you look at the Texas Rangers why would you why would you accelerate him you are not in your current you're, you're not ready to win right now obviously so even if he's up next year as cool as that would be for your fan base I don't I don't understand why people thought he would move up the system quickly and I mean you just said it and I'm the same way we're not prospect experts but like even that I guess my point is like, I'd be a little hesitant. I don't see any reason why the Rangers should be like, yeah, Jack Leiter's up next year by the all-star break. No question. Why? 
Yeah, I, I don't. I think that's a good example. Like, I I would be pretty hesitant to jump at him because of that. I I'm looking. I'm trying to think of guys who like based on what I've seen, I think could move quickly. Like maybe maybe Rocker moves quickly. Like the Mets are competing. I was just gonna say him. Th- yeah. They're not gonna win. Like they also don't seem as likely anymore to play service time games and stuff. So if they believe he can help them next year, I think they're going to be willing to move pretty fast with him. Maybe this is a, a Homer pick a little bit, but Gavin Williams, the, the Cleveland first round pick, he's, he's a college pitcher. So he should be sort of further along. They've got a good reputation for, for developing pitchers. And as of right now, it certainly looks like they have some needs in their rotation that are going to be hard to fill over the next year or so. Sure. I don't know. I'm probably not grabbing him in Otto New. He's probably not a, a, a elite enough prospect to really justify that. But I, he is a guy who I'd be watching because he could move quickly. But in general, like, I'm probably like, I'm not touching Henry Davis, right? I'm like, I'm just not, I'm just not touching a, a catcher who's that far away because I just don't think he'll be there that quickly. I'm not touching almost any high school player. Because they're just too far away, and each year they're going to gain two dollars on top of the one dollar. Well, it's it's one dollar. Get them for a dollar, right? You get they they gain one dollar until they have at least one. Until you get major league experience, you gain one dollar. Got it. So that was like two odd new questions. In yeah, one. There you but go. even still, if they're you know four years away, well, they're not well, as valuable as they would have been. And if your leagues are similar to my leagues, what you're going to see is a lot of these guys are going to go for like five, six, ten dollars in some cases. Yeah, that's and it's just like. It's just not worth it. And it's like if you look at Spencer Torkelson last year, who everybody thought might move quickly, was this elite, you know, one of the best college bats ever, blah, 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 blah. He went for like 10 to 12 bucks in a bunch of leagues. Nobody's happy with that now. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just, I mean, the only, only cases where I sometimes bid on these guys is simply to price and force and to get, get them back in the auction pool for next year. And I'm only doing that if I'm out of contention this year and have enough cap room that I don't care. And that's that those are, but otherwise I'm basically staying away from these guys. So yeah, that's, so I mean, just to, just to quick, put a cap on it. I think I'm going to be in the same boat as Chad, because I I can't imagine, I can't imagine a lot of value coming out of this unless you, you find a guy, he's still not too expensive as a rookie and it performs immediately. But my mind went for some reason, right to Andrew Vaughn, who a lot of people said would move quickly. And I mean, he ended up moving pretty quickly. And you know, you said earlier, like one of the best, whatever bats, for Torkelson, I heard a lot about the same stuff with Andrew Vaughn, oh, yeah. and he did move quickly, and he was an awesome prospect, and he's still kind of not that great yet. I know he had two home runs the other day; he could break out at any moment. That's not my point. Like, there's, there's got to be a goal in mind, and if it's just to like stash the hot prospect because you can, I, I don't know if that's the right move. That's not how I want to use my salary space. Totally agree. So, with that, thank you all for listening. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Keep or Cut. That's Cut with a K. You can follow me at Chad Young. Follow Pete at Pete B Baseball. Please subscribe, review, leave us ratings. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week.